Welcome to another episode of How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Today's guest is the jovial and philosophical Ramji, best known as the DM of the Singapore-based D&D stream, The Fourth Culture. Ramji is an encyclopedia of myth and legend, and draws heavily on them to shape his vivid world of Urtu. He has amazing advice on how to incorporate different cultures and ideas into your game in a way that makes them both extraordinary and satisfying. Enjoy! Thanks very much for having me, Derek. Uh, my name is Ramji, and I am the Dungeon Master and General Bottle Washer of a wonderful group of folks called The Fourth Culture. We're a stream that's based out, exactly as Derek said, in Singapore. And we focus on providing almost a variety entertainment type of approach to things. A lot of singing, a lot of dancing, a lot of tomfoolery, and uh, all wrapped inside some Dungeons and Dragons from a non-Eurocentric perspective, which I think is is how it's uh, appropriately told, or as we like to talk about it, really just in the context of the stories and tales and myths that we all learned when we were growing up. As a DM, what what is your experience like? You know, when when did you start? What was your first game that you ever DM'd? Tell us that kind of detail. You had some awesome, awesome, awesome guests on. And it's kind of, uh, I, I was a little bit envious actually listening to some of the previous podcasts of, of just how the fact that you get to talk to all these awesome people and ask them about their experiences and stuff. And it's really, a, it's great. The episode where you're talking to Maka and the first episode before that. And I noticed that a lot of the folks have been playing for a few years, as in they're relatively new to the hobby or they've been around since 3.5 or thereabouts. And I am definitely of a, as I've been reminded these days by back pain and other things like that, of a slightly older generation. I am 43, so I'm not that old, but from a practical perspective, it means that I started playing D&D in school, which means back in, I'd say 1990 at a push, maybe 1989, it's hard to tell. And I think back then it was a really awesome kid at school who kind of came in with a copy of a tattered Advanced Dungeons and Dragons player's handbook. And we'd go and, because we're English, of course, and so we play cricket. And there's a little cricket pavilion where you could sit at lunchtime. And so we'd go and grab some of the tables, the fold-up tables that were in there and go and sit and, and play D&D. And like everyone else thought, I say, what are these people doing? That looks rather interesting. What? That was my first experience when I was a player. I was dead set on playing a paladin. This was in second edition D&D, where paladins had to have a charisma of 17. And these were in the days when you rolled your stats on 3d6. That was it. You rolled 3d6, and you rolled them six times. And if you were really lucky, your DM let you swap them around. I realized super quickly that my DM was a nice bloke, or a nice kid at that time. I was like, ah, no, I don't like this. Because my paladin did some dumb things I'd never played before. And boy, did I get beaten around the head for it. Like, I was like, oh, cool, yeah, this thing I want. And so I stepped on this trap, and then the trap started, like, really getting me. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going on here? This is great. And yet, at the same point, like, I don't want this to happen again. And so I kind of really started getting into just reading about it. I mean, I was a studious kid, and so I got into, like, okay, cool, what am I missing? What am I not learning? And then you had Second Edition come along, and you had Dark Sun and Planescape and all of these expansions to what I think were the original kind of, oh, you had Greyhawk and the Forgotten Realms just... And then you had this explosion of stuff and the explosion of all the authors who came along to write this stuff. I, I'm of the generation of reading the Drizzt books as they came out, right? And so like R.A. Salvatore's books, as they came out, I was like going to the shops to buy them. And so like going to that experience and growing up and then reading the Belgariad and reading all these incredible works of, at that time, current fiction. And now, obviously, like 
classics, if you will, that set in motion this whole thing of like, well, this is the thing I like to do. And then I got into running games for uh, my friends and my friends also ran games for all of us. They're kind of like groups at school and we kind of played different things. We played Paranoia, we played uh, Warhammer, we played uh, D&D, we played Star Wars role-playing game because that was a lot of fun. Later on, as we got to university, like we did some live action role play and a few other things like that. And that's where everything kicked off, I would say. It was pre-teens, early teens. I didn't think of dungeon mastering as a skill, probably until a lot later, probably until my, you know, my college years when I really, well, we were playing a lot more vampire. Vampire as a theater of the mind game, even as a live action role playing theater of the mind game you need to start thinking about how people relate to each other and the empathy and politics of the game. White Wolf do a great job about making the DM the storyteller. I know that that term can be a little bit, oh, well, it's not your story to tell, it's a collaborative game and everything else. And I agree. I mean, fundamentally, this is a game you get together with friends to have fun and to build something together and share something together. It isn't about any one person's ego or vision dominating anyone else's because that's not the point. It's not the point of life and it's certainly not the point of this game. In listening to and watching the, the Fourth Culture streams, I think you do an amazing job of being very descriptive in your games and making it feel like it's a real living place that moves and reacts to the player's decisions. So, so that's, I think, one of your very big strengths among others. What do you think your experience and playstyle brings to the table what makes it very interesting for your players so i'm super lucky uh, i have some really wonderful players and we co-created this world our players got together and played a game called microscope which is recommended to us by matt colville who is one of the first people i've ever seen who thoughtfully and consciously deconstructs what it is to dm a game anyway he suggested to go and look up this game called microscope by ben robbins um, <clears throat> which is sort of referred to as a fractal role-playing game and he didn't talk too much more about it because he was just talking about how it's important to you know, collaboratively build a world. Taking his words as gospel, which I've done a couple of times, and now not necessarily learned it always works, but in this particular case, it absolutely was bang on because Microscope is a collaborative game. And so we built the world together in this sort of improv game where we all got together and took turns kind of doing macro and micro little scenes and vignettes but also large broad statements about this is the nature of this era this is the era of you know kings and colonies this is the era of gods and you know, demigods or or down to this is the scene that shows you know, julius caesar is about to set off to invade england and britons at the time and you know he's in his tent having a conversation with his adjutant Right, or that sort of thing. And so you create a level of depth and flavor that you and your players can all co-inhabit. And the reason for doing that, and the thing that I really wanted to create and we all wanted to create as a group, was the same sort of feeling of discovery that you get when you're watching a TV show, but it's set on Earth and you recognize something. You remember the end of the original Planet of the Apes? And there's a point where you pan back and you see the head of the Statue of Liberty. And everybody Classic. has a, oh my God, it's the, it's the Statue of Liberty. That's on Earth. Dun, dun, dun. But scale that down now to like everyone's everyday interactions. Like imagine like you're playing a game of Call of Cthulhu and you, you track your enemy down to onto this boat and you get on this boat and just as it sets sail and with you on it, having done all this work to get on it, you look to the side and you see lit, the lights are lit and it says, HMS Titanic. Now, that has so much meaning 
but because we all know the stories and myths of the Titanic, I'm obsessed with myths. Um, and like, because we know those myths, our faces emote that knowledge, our the actions emote it. And so the whole question we were having as a discussion was, how do we, as players, as cast members, as people who are not just playing a game, but are putting together a bit of entertainment, how do we recreate that ourselves so that people can read those facial expressions on us? We wanted to, to create that language between our audience and ourselves that allows people to really bond with that experience of the world. And is less me and is very much about our players. We've done, they've, they've done an incredible job of it. I'm mm -hmm. super fortunate. They are incredibly emotive. I think that that adds to the watchability of the stream, right? I mean, there are so many podcasts that are just audio only, but it does add an, an additional element that, that makes it that much more interesting. You too, going. Thank you. What are some of the worst mistakes that you remember making as a DM? And this could hark back to your schoolboy days, or it could be as recent as a few weeks ago. And what lessons do you feel like you learned from these mistakes that help you improve your game? To borrow an expression from your last guest, I'm definitely a pantser. I am 100%. Uh, for those of you who haven't come across Maka uh, as a DM, <laughs> he's, he's an incredible human being. He's also very, very thoughtful about how to break down the, the mechanics of storytelling in an interesting way. But he, he coined this term pantser. I think it's practically, it's a, it just means you're a person that likes to drop into the chaos and you enjoy the chaos. And so you structure yourself for the minimum required to be able to have chaos, but not have a complete disaster. That is a high-risk strategy <laughs> that doesn't it always is. pay off. And it's it a high-risk emotional strategy because you, you don't have any way to mark yourself or your performance. So I was chatting about this on our Discord. The, the conversation came up and it was like, well, you kind of walk away at the end of it. And it's not until you watch it back that you actually see what's happened in the episode. The rest of the time, especially when you're running a stream or a podcast or anything else, there's technical problems. There's things that aren't working. There's bleed on a microphone. There's like someone's lights not right. You're monitoring the Discord where people are just telling you, no, no, audio on the stream's too quiet or whatever. At the same point, you're, you're trying to like construct this narrative world while still keeping the whole show going. I don't understand how people can be professional actors. It's a hard job. Therefore, you don't actually experience the game the way that you do as a DM. And so being a stream DM and being a DM are very different things. They are, however, fundamentally the same thing, which is when you do get to lose yourself in storytelling and in the act of creating that shared sense of theater, it is still a very inherently joyful thing. The thing that I would say is are the biggest mistakes are, for me, and I've made plenty of them because literally the only way I'm able to see the work that's happened is by looking at it and going, I'm not that happy with that. And what's going there and throw my hair there or my shirt's too bright or, oh, why was I saying that? Or the accent's wrong. Like we're, we're super hypercritical, right? That's not, that's yeah. the nature of it, us. And I think that's part of the nature of being a nerd anyway. But I think it's also part of the nature of doing anything like this, right? Where you put yourself out, you don't like yourself, but then every now and then you do. Right. And every now and yeah. then you go, you feel guilty for it, but you're like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. That's a yeah. thing we did. That's amazing. And I live for that. That's it's just the idea of like these talented people that are around us and they're doing these things. So I make mistakes all the time and they range and they do like they are technical mistakes. Anybody that's played with me knows that my knowledge of the rules is passing at best. And what I mean by that is I've read all of the rules at least four times over. I have a terrible memory, and so I'd rather go on tempo than go on correctness. And I'd much rather something was interesting and flowed 
and then deal with it later than we stop and page through 20 pages of books unless there's something super super important right like oh well this would be campaign defining at which point we'll make something of it but other than that i even in all games since the dawn of whenever i've always been like cool let's figure it out later balancing your world is an interesting thing I like to indulge players high fantasy. One of my favorite films when I was a kid was Never Ending Story. I loved that movie. I loved anything that was just pure joyful escapism. I prefer to be in a world where people get to ride dragons and slay monsters and do really crazy things than a world where you are spending the first four levels in a survival horror fantasy that is just literally, you know, Valheim. Yeah, I'm not anyone to rain anyone else's parade or how they should have fun with that. Far from it. I, I, I don't like gatekeeping of any sort. If people want to get together and play survival horror, all, all power to you. But for me, part of the whole Dungeons and Dragons thing is, oh, wow, right? You know, like flights of dragons passing through the sky and, you know, mages still on top of towers, like, you know, summoning dark entities that split the night sky and all these kind of crazy, awesome things, right? So the other side of that, though, is... You can turn your party into demigods really easily just because you want to throw awesome things at them. And then, like, yep. they're walking around at level three and you're, you're, you're screwed. Using the basic D&D mechanics, you're screwed because yep. you only have throw lots of high-level monsters at them, but those high-level monsters do so much damage that the variance on any encounter is super swingy. Now, there are lots and lots of cool techniques you can use to do this, right? But the thing I didn't understand... And I've now begun to really get my head around is this concept called action economy. And until I understood the core of D&D as a game, before that and before all role-playing games, the core of this idea of action economy, I didn't really know how to build encounters that were challenging, but were also achievable. And I think that was probably the biggest learning. You will make mistakes as a DM. You should embrace them and love them. And you should have a good enough channel of communication with your players that they can say, hey, DM, you know this thing? is that how you want things to be? And you're like, no, no, I'm not sure I do, actually. And they're like, cool, cool, cool. Because we don't like that either. Can we do something different? It's like, yeah, can we? Because that was really awkward. Yeah, that was very, okay, cool. What can we do about it? And, and having that supportive gaming table, I think it's for all DMs, but especially for DMs that are a bit fast and loose like me, is critically important. And now a word from our sponsor. If you've been thinking about getting into the podcasting game, but don't have a large budget or a ton of industry expertise already, Anchor.fm is a great place to get started. Why use Anchor? It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. And you can start monetizing your show immediately with no minimum audience size or reach. Anchor really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's get back to the show. Let's go ahead and change gears and talk more about your stream and your game specifically. You mentioned before, the fourth culture draws heavily on Asiatic culture, on Asiatic myths and that sort of thing. So I wanted to dig into where you got your inspiration for the game, the research that led into it, to the creation of the world of Urtu. So I'll, I'll apologize in advance. As you can see, I can, I can talk for days anyway. And this is a subject I can rattle on for ages. But we were inspired as a group by the fact that the majority of all settings 
especially for D&D in general, are all based on what, what I guess is the sort of Norse Germanic root myth. And I, I say that in the context of like uh, yeah, comparative mythology is a is is an interesting subject and a, and a hobby of mine. And so for those of you who come across like the works of people like Joseph Campbell or things like that, there is a commonality to stories and myths across uh, all cultures because cultures are migratory by their very nature. Over the course of time, human civilizations have moved from one place to the other, and they take their stories with them. So the majority of D and D is a mix of Babylonian, Akkadian, biblical stories, right? Mm. So that's sort of, you know, the sort of Iran, near Iran, as it were. So Iraq, uh, the Near East, the Middle East, as it's now called, I guess. So uh, we're talking about um, you, uh, the Levant, uh, obviously the Mediterranean cultures, the Arab cultures, to some extent, with a huge sort of like big, heavy stamp of uh, Northern German, 17th, 18th century influence, Germanic myth based on Norse myth. And so when I talk about this, I mean, we're talking about, you know, the ring cycle, Wagner's ring cycle, or the stories that, uh, that all lead into it, which are all fascinating, interesting, filled with things to uncover, but also, oh my God, everything is this. Like everything's got like the sword of power and the ring and the Valkyries and the wolves. It's awesome. But like all the Fae are, are sort of Celtic Fae. Not that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, far from it. An awful lot of things about that are to be celebrated and are wonderful. Because if you actually start tracing those things back and you really get into it, wow, the story of Hearn the Hunter, who used to live in the park in somewhere in, in, in the UK, that's actually meant to be, you know, a representation of uh, Sylvanus, who was meant to be a representation of this, a representation, and you go all the way back to these sort of like, you know, these middle European slash Asiatic deities and stories. And this whole thing is beautiful and fascinating. And then we were talking about this, uh, some friends of mine were talking about this, and talk about, well, why does nobody run a game like this, but based it on Asian myth? Why, why is it always that the Asian myth stories, they're the same stories just dressed in Asian clothes? Instead, we, we took the approach of saying, well, let's, do the, let's try and do the opposite of that. Let's try and build Asian stories, and then the clothes are just going to be whatever we make up at a D&D table. Not everyone wears lamellar armor. People wear plate armor in our game. People carry broadswords in our game. It's fine. Like, those things mm -hmm. were technology of the time. That's the key thing is like technology is technology, but the mythological bias is towards the myths and stories that maybe would have been around, you know, in the Khmer Empire or in the Balinese Hindu kingdoms or in the Chinese Middle Kingdoms at that time. It is not a cultural melting pot. It is a made up place where we play a, a role playing game. Like there is no worthy agenda behind this other than we wanted to use stories and myths that were from our childhood uh, rather than from Tolkien's childhood. I think that it's been fascinating to listen to and identify, like you said, the hero's journey, the, the very similar things and the, and the tropes that, that all of humanity uses in their myths. I wanted to ask about other people who want to include Asiatic themes and characters and influences in their games. I know a lot of DMs like myself have really been fascinated by, by the tales of that region of the world, but have wanted to portray them in a respectful way instead of being reductive or something like that. What is the advice you have for paying homage to these kinds of cultures in a respectful way in your game without as much context of, of the myths and, and that sort of thing that, that you might have above us? That's a great question, and, and, you, and you've, you've phrased it in a particularly thoughtful way, and I appreciate that. 
there are three things here. The first is that nobody is immune to the golden rule. So if you're doing this with uh, an open heart and a desire to bring joy to others and not bring harm to anybody, uh, fill your boots. You're, you're, you're just some people getting together like in your garage, in your basement or on Skype, most likely, or Zoom most likely, to be able to play a game together. And so, hey, if somebody's obsessed with dual wielding katanas, jolly hockey sticks. The more nuanced part of the conversation you're asking, though, is as a DM or as somebody that really wants to be respectful, but really kind of get into a culture rather than just superficially. I would advise two things. The first is vote with your dollars. Go and buy a supplement. Buy a person who is of that culture, who spent time and effort to respectfully put something together that will have addressed this for you. Go and support those works. What you're doing is you're creating a market for people who write about their cultures in the context of D&D to create realistic rules and bring a synergy of the interpretation of their culture and the things that you need coming at it from a different perspective to understand it. There's a hashtag RPG SEA, RPG um, Sierra Echo Alpha, and they are a Southeast Asian, but it's not just Southeast Asian, there's a group of Canadians and there's a group of people from around the world, but they are a, it's a hashtag, the fourth culture. We're very peripherally involved with, these are independent creators who are doing some amazing work. We're just a bunch of variety show hacks that like to entertain our audience. But these, these are people who genuinely spend time within their own communities, within their own cultures, and bring those stories to life in, in these independent works and not that many of them are picked up or mainstream. And so you can go and pick up a load of these things for not much. The yeah. second thing I would say that's a big thing is make it relevant. Don't make it so that you are introducing this as something exotic. Introduce this as something that's part of your world. You're already doing exotic. You've created the fantasy world. The, the sin, I think, that TSR or, or D&D has performed historically is to say that it's perfectly normal for there to be orcs and elves and bugbears and half-elves in this world, but it's kind of strange that there are Asians, so we're going to put them in a place called Karatur. And it's kind of odd that there are, like, Arabs, so we're going to put them in this place called Al-Qadim. I get why, uh, but it's nonsense, right? Like, don't yeah. have special places that your Earth cultures live in separately have them just be part of your world. Now, if you wanted to have a tribe of orcs that were Mongols, you need to be a little careful with this. If, on the other hand, you wanted to use the Mongols as a template and then have a, a, a multiracial, multi-ethnic group that used the template of the historical Mongols to build a massive empire, that's rad. Who doesn't want like this amazing civilization to surge up? And then you have that central clash of so many epic novels of civilization versus chaos. Chaos versus law is the core of so many of these great novels that I think that, you know, we should embrace that. We'd love it. I guess what I'm saying is don't make it about the indigenous culture. Use that in its most glorious form. That's excellent advice. Transitioning now to your your live stream, you started the show mid-pandemic, albeit in, in a country that is smaller and probably has easier borders to control. Tell us about the challenges you faced during, the, you know, you're deciding to start the show and, and kind of um, how it came about and then maybe what you did to overcome them. We got together in December of last year. It's a process that probably started in about October when I was having a conversation with a friend and it snowballed and we did a bit of did some test games and a few other things. We all got together and we did our first set of recordings and we played Microscope, in fact, in the last week of December. I don't think we could have done any of this if there had been no pandemic. 
I don't think people have realized quite how lonely they were. You know what I mean? As odd as it sounds, right? Like I think being forced to be at home, being forced to be away from the the stuff that you normally use to distract yourself from the existential crisis we all have to deal with, I think has created an opportunity for people to reconnect in the most interesting of ways. The unwritten story of COVID is the mental health impact on people. That was a large reason of why we brought the stream together. Very lucky in Singapore. We're able to do a live play stream, meaning that we were able to buy, I want to say the end of October, maybe the beginning of November, meet in groups of five. Because we were in that situation, we were able to still get this game going. And it was a lifeline for all of us, having gone through like probably the last six months or so of just not really spending time with anybody. And sure, you get to see your friends, everybody's just uh, worried about everything to actually get together and just play a game and create a fancy world and have characters that aren't super worried about a pandemic and stay away from there's no disease plot line in this in this campaign i'll tell you that much spoiler alert <laughs> yeah spoiler alert spoiler alert there is no disease in this campaign like it's fine don't worry don't take your disease you won't need it <laughs> so, haha, inception it was just great to get people together. Now, what have been the hard bits? Oh my God, sound. I'm a lighting person. I, I used to, run, my, my wife and I were around a lighting studio when we lived in New York. I got pretty handy with lighting and all the rest of it. But sound doesn't work like light. And they tell you this at school, but you don't realize it until you actually try to record things. And there's bleed and there's reverb and there's soundproofing things. And it is an absolute different world. We spent more time than anything else. Our first 10 episodes, the sound was awful. And it's one of those ones where you can only go back and clean it up so much. And my biggest advice to me, if I could go back three months, would be get your sound right. Here's what you need to do. Because I can't but go back to that episode one. Hello, and welcome to The Fourth Culture. And I look at, listen to it, and I'm just there going, oh, gosh, this is bad. The hardest bit is not the D&D. The hardest bit is all the stuff around it to make it happen. Mac is incredible at social media. And if we hadn't stumbled into and become part of that amazing Hope for TTRPGs community, the TTRPG family stuff, I don't know where we'd be because like we've learned so much and we've gained so much from the support and just the co-mentorship of all the people in that group. You're in that group, everyone's in that group, right? You know, uh, uh, Keaton's there and Macca's there and Hope you know, themselves, just amazing, right? And that, I think, is a whole a whole new world, meaning that, like, I've never been the social media person. Like, I've had a Twitter account forever. I like and follow things. I maybe have an argument about, like, you know, computer stuff. And then we have, like, the fourth culture with, like, 500 followers. And I'm there going, 500 followers? What am I going to do with 500 followers? But let's be honest, right? It's not stupid numbers. But at the same point, it's beyond the 50 or so people I know in the real world. Right. And so it's, it's a whole different ballgame. I've never come across a group of folks anywhere. The the folks in the D&D TTRPGs group, but also in uh, a big shout out for the D&D Clubhouse folks. Right? I've never come across a group of people that are as supportive and as positive as those two groups. And I kind of want them to have like, you know, positivity babies because they're just so uplifting. People who cheer when you score. They're not waiting for their turn to score. They're just happy when you score. And then you're happy when they score and it's all grand. And it's like, like, it's not a Disney movie, right? Everybody's trying to do their own thing and help their audience and gain their invisibility and everything else. But there's something just great about having a team of folks who are just they're there for you, right? You can go and say, hey, this thing didn't work. And at the worst, you'll get gifts, which is pretty good, right? The gift game is strong. And at yeah. the best, you get some really, really thoughtful feedback and some, and some hard work will go into helping you fix your problem.
And that's amazing. And the community that, that we've built there and the community that we've built on our Discord is just amazing. What are your parting words of wisdom and encouragement to new and aspiring dungeon masters out there? And this could be for people who are planning on starting streams or people who just haven't ever dived in and tried to run their own game. Or it could be people who've been running the game for a while and need you know, a shot of reinvigoration. People will say to you that the reason you're a dungeon master is because, and dot, 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 and then yeah, insert insert reason here, because you're the forever DM, because you are uh, somebody that likes to be able to play lots of characters, because you're whatever it is. Right? But find the thing that you enjoy that's relevant to the table of people you're at. So if you're playing a group with a group of people who enjoy puns and zany fun and aren't a serious D&D game, right? Just tune so you don't run a serious D&D game because you've got to match your energy and the energy of your table. And if your table wants to just have your adventure be space balls, don't run a serious sci-fi adventure. Don't run Alien. Or if you do, it's going to be the space balls version of Alien, which is fine. But just yeah. lean into that. Enjoy it. Your job is not to define the energy of the table. Your job is to steer it. And I think that that dynamic equilibrium, that, that spinning top is just so great. But the thing you can't do is control it. You're just there to like nudge it and shape it and keep it spinning. And maybe as it spins and it travels around all these amazing places that come from your collective imagination, you know, you help it happen, but you can't control it. So don't try. Yeah, I know Maka talked a lot about railroading versus not and, and being a pantser versus a planner and i think that the more you are comfortable with steering the chaos the better dungeon master you'll be i'm guilty of having stolen from many many published adventures but having never really run one like even when i've tried to run one we we, we just go off piste real quick because one of my players will want to do something and they'll go yeah but can we go down the road and you're like sure of course we can go down the road because why wouldn't you go down the road with your friends I mean, if your friends are like, hey, I, I'm bored of this house. Can we just head down to the next pub over? You're going to go, all right, sure, why not? Because anywhere that I'm with you is probably going to be fun, right? That's the advice. Go with the party, yeah. create the narrative, create that opportunity, and create the sense of trust that even though they know that you don't know what's behind that door any more than they do, they're willing to let you take the lead in that exploration. They're willing to let you define it and for them to then go with it, which is a wonderful thing. To wrap it up then, what are the projects you're working on currently that you want to plug here and then any other accounts you want to follow or um, announcements that you have to make? Thank you very much. So uh, obviously we have the fourth culture itself, uh, which is currently two campaigns. So we have the Monday night game, which is the Journeys of Survey Team 3 or the Voyages of Survey Team 3, which is where uh, we all get together in Singapore around the table. And that's our main show, if you will. And we've got an amazing group that I just wanted to, to shout out. Uh, we've got husband and wife team who are just remarkable uh, in terms of their range, which is uh, Joe Tan and Ed Choi. We're very fortunate. They're both working actors, right? So they, they know their stuff, right? And that's awesome. And also the wonder that is Sheena and Lisa. They've formed such a crazy friendship. And uh, it's really amazing just to see just how affectionate and joyful they are just in each other's presence i think it's that's one of the really nice things about us as a group have been forging a friendship in the middle of this pandemic that i think like without this inconvenience i'm not sure it would have happened but i'm so thankful that it has they're really amazing people 
the other thing we have is a thing called Beyond the Crystal Caverns, and that is a, in collaboration with the D&D Club on Clubhouse. And that is also on Twitch, but it's also co-streamed or, uh, or you know, dual-streamed uh, onto Clubhouse as well. It's set in order to, but it's basically we've hijacked a group of people from Faerun, and they've kind of been stolen by one of the divinities of some sort uh, and brought to Urtu. Part of that is to play around and experiment with what it's like to take people from a Germanic myth setting and drop them into a, you know, an Asiatic myth setting and, and just play those ideas a little because it seems like fun. If the Monday Night Crew is the variety show Chaos Crew, the Tuesday Morning Crew is a lot more Suicide Squad because they got mm. brought there against their will. And so they're very much more like, we're not the good party. Both things are loads of fun. It's, an ex it's exhausting, but it's loads of fun. Additionally, I play in, uh, or I host a bunch of rooms in the clubhouse along with a bunch of other people. I play in a game called State of Our Nation, uh, run by uh, an incredible DM called Dejon James. And so uh, he's running a bunch of 1v1s that are becoming 2v1s, which will basically end up in a campaign that's going to be kicking off and streaming, I think, probably about September time. Our final things, we're probably going to be launching another uh, stream uh, for the fourth culture. We're working on it right now. Just trying to figure out the logistics of when and how and what, given uh, the nature of the world and the fact that everything is changing. We're just kind of keeping an eye right now on whether or not another stream is needed or useful for people's time. Uh, one of the things we're super conscious of is that things change when everyone goes back to the office. The amount of time people have available to them for streams goes down. And so there's only so much one can do there. But I think from a practical perspective, we're just scratching the surface. That's the other thing. If you're thinking about streaming, by the way, the world is very, very big. And when you know, when you have 500 people following you, that is a drop in the ocean of people who play D&D who've never heard of you. No one should ever feel like, oh, there's too many D&D podcasts, because as long as there's something you have or some story you have to tell, it's like saying there are too many books. There'll never be a time where there are too many books. There'll never be a time where there's too many D&D podcasts. Don't worry about it. Put yourself out there and bring your friends and enjoy yourselves, and some people will listen. I love it. Thanks so much for joining us, Ramji. I know uh, the, the time difference has been fun to work with, but I'm glad I finally uh, we, we found some time to connect, and I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, Derek, thank you so much for having me on. Also, this, thank you for doing this. This is a really great podcast. It's awesome to be asked. It's also awesome just to see the other people that are coming on and that you're giving sort of exposure and airtime to. It's a really wonderful thing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to How Not to DM. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share the podcast with your friends and family around your table. For episode guest announcements, links to our Discord community, blog, and social media accounts, visit at HN, the number two, DM on Twitter. Join me and a bunch of very talented members of the TTRPG community on Saturday, June 5th for a live stream one-shot of Andrea's Adventurers. We're raising $5,000 for the Canadian Cancer Society. Check out the links in our link tree on Twitter or in our Discord to learn more about how to donate to the great cause. Our awesome intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin. And until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.